Hey guys, Dingo here, and we have a great episode lined up this week. Today, I have the great pleasure of being able to sit down with Justin and Leo from Pangolin. Pangolin is the premier decentralized exchange of the Avalanche Network, and I'm honored to be able to sit down with both the CEO and COO. So guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Dingo. It's great to be here. Hey, thanks for having us on. Glad to be here. I am super excited about this because I uh, have been a bit of a uh, avalanche uh, stand for <laughs> a little while now. And you guys are really, you know, picking up momentum. Um, the whole ecosystem is really starting to flourish. But uh, let's start back at kind of square one a little bit. Like, let's talk a little bit about the founding of uh, this decentralized exchange. I know as of right now, as of this recording, you guys are boasting over $7.3 billion in total volume, nearly $300 million in total liquidity. And you guys have some yield farming rates as, as high as 300%. But let's let's kind of go back in time a little bit here. Um, how did uh, Pangolin get started? Did you guys have a relationship with Ava Labs before starting Pangolin? How did that sort of evolve? Uh, so Pangolin is a completely community-owned DEX. So what that means was when Pangolin was originally formed, it was actually a, a developer by the name of Connor Daly that uh, started Pangolin. Um, and then if you actually look at the tokenomics, the tokenomics were completely community distributed. So 5% of the total supply was an airdrop and then 95% to liquidity mining. Um, so when we, we kind of came into the picture, uh, right from the early days actually so as a community dex um you know whoever contributed kind of got to be involved and whoever you know was part of the ecosystem early days uh at that stage there wasn't governance so pangolin started in about february 9th i believe it was was when the first contracts were deployed uh but that was just for the decks so then governance came slightly later i think about two two or three months later and it was at the point of governance where the community actually had an ability to make proposals to elect a core team. Uh, it was at that stage, once governance was live, that you know we banded together, uh, myself, Leo, and Brandon, Brandon's the CTO, uh, we banded together to create a proposal to then elect a core team and to have uh, some PNG set aside to allow us to run the operations of PNG. So how big, if you don't mind me asking, at this point now, and we're recording this in October of 2021, um, how big has the team expanded to? Is it just you three still, or how did that sort of evolve? Yeah, I think the latest org chart I've been playing with is over 20 people now. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so what actually like inspired the name of Fangolin? Like. Was it Leo's idea? Was it was it your idea? How did that kind of come about? I I actually got the um, <laughs> so I was at Masari Mainnet uh, last week. Uh, I got to talk to a couple of the Ava Labs folks who built who build Avalanche, and I was talking to Jay, the marketing director there, VP of marketing, and he said that he actually brainstormed the Pangolin name. Um, I think at the time, you know, these cute animal names were getting popular, but he wanted a little bit more of a serious vibe and Pangolin was just cool and edgy enough where, yeah, <laughs> where it fit the, fit the role. And he said they took a vote and it came out on top and that's where Pangolin came from. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> so 
like talk to me a little bit more about because I'm really just fascinated with because I feel like you know 10 15 20 years down the line like this the early days of how some of these incredibly successful projects got started will be the subject of documentaries and I, I'm just curious like what was it like just with you three just sort of getting it off the ground and, and what kind of maybe challenges did you run into what were some of the big things that maybe you wish you knew um you know back when you were first starting off with that sort of stuff tell me a little bit about the early days of pangolin uh, i'm sure we both have a lot of thoughts on this one <laughs> uh, i'll go <laughs> i'll go really quick where um so pangolin is interesting because most DeFi projects start centralized um, they build to a certain size then they decentralize but pangolin was launched decentralized from the start almost so when we came on board you know everything was in the hands of voting of the community and we really had to figure out okay what makes sense for the team to be able to decide on and have authority on in terms of something like hiring people or marketing spend and what makes more sense for the community to vote on so kind of figuring out the DAO process and environment um, was definitely a good learning opportunity for us yeah, I think Leo put it put it very well. So we, we were community governed from the start, uh, and now that's obviously a wonderful thing, and it contributes a lot to the ethos of the project. I think it it, it contributes a lot to the transparency, uh, but it also definitely contributes a lot to the challenges of governance. Uh, so DAO governance isn't a mature field. It's something that we're all learning and we're all experimenting with on how best to kind of toe the line between making sure a project's community owned and that you can actually get things done without kind of voter fatigue, uh, voter kind of um, apathy, which, you know, sometimes does occur. And then obviously Avalanche was very different when we kind of got into the gig. Avalanche was quite a a small community it still is in a lot of ways so um fostering those relationships has been key uh, and i think it's definitely something that's you know leo's done a great job of doing and it's definitely allowed us yeah so that in, in terms of lessons learned i think we're still figuring out governance and what the best strategy is for governance uh with it with a, enough autonomy so that we can kind of still be competitive in the hyper competitive landscape yeah, I noticed uh, just kind of browsing your governance structure that you guys have shifted into incorporating what you call like a, a guild structure. Um, as someone who manages our Saffron Finances governance, this definitely has piqued my interest. Can you explain a little bit more about maybe some of the the underlying factors that caused this paradigm shift, and you know how has that impacted governance discussions moving forward? Do you? I mean, clearly it's working for you guys, but. Um, how did that sort of come about and what are some of the benefits of utilizing that sort of system? Yeah, so so for me, you know, we, we did the guild system because we want to keep true to the ethos of decentralization. So if you look at uh, how, you know, often in DeFi, everyone's coming from a traditional background. So we're used to hierarchical power structures. So if you look at traditional businesses, they, they're all hierarchical. Um, you, you know, you have your C-level execs and then underneath those C-level execs, you have a whole bunch of people and it kind of creates this pyramid. Um, you know, with a guild structure, you know, the thoughts are that it remains people, allows teams to remain autonomous, but also be the, so basically the masters of their own destiny, but still to adhere to a kind of common goal. Um, so if you look at those guilds, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. So we do have to be aligned on strategy. 
But in terms of actually who makes the decisions for those particular uh, functions or those particular guilds, they should be autonomous. Um, we're still figuring out exactly, you know, I think America has a very good system with the way that, you know, everyone watches or, you know, the, the kind of thoughts are that everyone has a watcher. So someone watches someone and someone watches the watchers. I think with the guild structure, it's cool because it allows teams to be autonomous and kind of, you know, go where they need to go, do what they need to do. But you still need to make sure that they're still accountable, that they're still, you know, pointing in the right direction and the strategic direction of the DAO. Yeah, I, I definitely thought it, it's really interesting. Um, just like for the edification of our listeners, they have divided, Pangolin has divided um, their kind of governance structure into, I believe it's seven different guilds. So each one is, you know, tokenomics, second one is community, product, governance, treasury, uh, business development, and then uh, the DAO. So if someone, maybe a new user says, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about business development. Um, but, you know, I'm very good at managing community. You know, how would they get involved? Yeah, so, so we're still figuring out a lot of the formalization of these processes. Um, you, you, know, you know, so one of the thoughts are that we'd have working streams, which then allocate budgets to those guilds. Our, our goals, and, and Leo can back me up, and Brandon also, is always being to hire from within the community uh, as a first step. Um, so what that means is we always look internally for people within the community, whether that's a developer, whether it's business dev, whether it's marketing, whether it's moderating, whatever the skill set of the people that we're looking for is we, we try to get them in from the community. That's always not practical sometimes, especially as we grow. Sometimes we do have to look externally for people. But the best way to get involved is literally we have you know Discord, we have Telegram, we have the forum. Um, speak to us. We're always available. We're always looking for people, especially t passionate people that really care about Pangolin and really want to see it to succeed. And we want to, you know, create an environment where we'll create pathways. So we've recently hired like a head of people, um, for lack of, I guess, a, a less traditional term. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, um, his role is literally to create the culture we want to, uh, create and, and part of his job is, and his role is to make sure that there's learning pathways for everyone that wants to contribute to Pangolin. Can you tell me a little bit about maybe the tokenomics of uh, the Pangolin token itself? And maybe have those always been kind of set in stone there or have they sort of evolved to fit the needs of an, well, an ever evolving DEX? Yeah, that's a good question. It's always um, good to talk about tokenomics. It really drives the success of a project and kind of how it runs. And so Pangolin's original tokenomics were to emit around 175,000 PNG tokens per day for farming. And I think Justin already touched upon the distribution of 95% uh, of farming, 5% for an airdrop, and some of the leftover airdrop got turned into a community treasury. So with most of the tokens going to farming, the original vision was to kind of follow the Bitcoin halving model, where every four years, supply is halved for maybe 30 plus years until uh, that dwindles to nothing. And that worked for a while, but now we're starting to realize that uh, we kind of need to shorten the duration of this life cycle as well as slowly curb the amount of mission, emissions uh, that are released per day. 
So we've actually recently announced a tokenomics improvement where we're shortening the life cycle to four years, having our max supply from 538 million to around 230 million, and also implementing this sort of uh, sloped decrease of emissions each month. And for a DEX that relies on emissions to attract liquidity, uh, we really have to think about kind of the inflationary, deflationary aspect of our tokenomics, uh, which is why we're moving towards this model. We really want to have more attractive APRs to attract TVL uh, and also just give our investors a little more um, something to be more excited about in terms of kind of buyback and burns and also just seeing the amount of tokens released into the market each month decrease over time. That's also an attractive proposition. So in terms of tokenomics, uh, I, I definitely think, you know, DeFi is, is such a rapidly evolving space and we're learning so quickly uh, that what we're seeing is tokenomics almost as a, an area of study, uh, as Dingo alluded to earlier, when, when people come back into the space in 10 years from now, tokenomics is almost like a, a discipline that's evolving in hyper time. So as DeFi protocols launch, you're actually learning from each other and it's creating this feedback loop where, you know, ultimately it kind of comes down to a Darwin theory, right? Like the quickest to adapt are the ones that are going to survive. Um, and, and, and this is what we're seeing is we think that the tokenomics, the original tokenomics needs some revision and we want to be able to adapt quickly so that we can kind of, uh, yeah, remain competitive. Do you guys end up in terms of that collaboration sort of effort, do you guys go outside of, you know, uh, Pangolin to kind of coordinate with other decks, not necessarily coordinate, but to maybe take inspiration from and like, maybe let's poke it and see what Uniswap is doing, or maybe what's what Sushi Swap is doing. Um, is there any kind of like uh camaraderie i suppose maybe that might be the right word between you two <laughs> i mean it's a great question i mean i'm like i love this space like i think sometimes people think i'm i'm towing the party line but like i love this space and i think there's inspiration to be found everywhere for example when 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 i was introduced to saffron i was so stoked because i've been following your project for a while and i love what you guys are doing um, and, you know, I take inspiration from what you guys are doing. Um, I, we take inspiration from all of the avenues because there's so much cool, innovative, groundbreaking, really inspiring stuff happening. Uh, in terms of relationships, because Avalanche was, was, was relatively small for a long time, you know, the broader ecosystem of DeFi and, and blockchain kind of left us alone for, for quite a few months. So we fostered incredibly good relationships with a lot of the projects. Um, you know, uh, relationships that last to this day where you talk to them, they help each other out. If there's any uh, ways that we can collaborate, we do. Um, th th there's a very healthy, very positive environment in Avalanche. People really want to help each other. People really do feel that, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And it's it's really a great place to build in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I definitely just get really excited. I share that enthusiasm with just how much untapped potential because it is such a new industry and there's so many new things um, just that just haven't been thought up yet that are you know, going to be massively impacting the landscape moving forward. Like without revealing too much about what we've been working on internally, uh, we're going to be incorporating NFTs into a lot of things that we'll be moving forward with for Saffron V2. And, you know, it, it's just this 
it's just it's such an exciting and I, I totally get that because I'm trying to I talk about my industry sometimes to what we would call, I guess, the normies or whatnot in the real world. <laughs> and yeah. I, I find myself just sort of like just gushing on and on and on about like all this sort of stuff. And someone just is staring at me with just like this blank expression on their face and just like, I have no idea. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Yeah, I get that blank expression at like barbecues often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it's it's, but it's so much fun, and it's, it's why I enjoy doing these kind of podcast episodes a lot because it's I can finally kind of you know talk with people, um, you know, in this sort of professional quote unquote capacity, and uh, really be able to just kind of gush about just this incredible untapped potential in this market and, and in this industry. Before you know, we we kind of get further into you know what we guys or what you guys are working on. Let's kind of talk a little bit about maybe before you got involved in the crypto. So I spent ten years doing traditional software development um, as a full time engineer, as an engineering manager, um, just building software for various size companies, and learned a ton of things and had great experiences there. Um, education wise, I actually studied a bit of both engineering and business. And I think that back type of background really helps an individual get into crypto because you see this marrying of technology and economics and money, and that really appeals to um, you know someone like me. I, I was I come from a more traditional background, obviously. Uh, so I started off uh, studying my my degrees in economics and business, uh, and then uh, I worked as an accountant for a few years. I hated it. <laughs> it was the most boring job I could imagine. But, you know, like um, I needed a job and it, it paid pretty well. Um, and then I, I, I quit and I became like a consultant for like large scale, um, what's called ERP systems, which are really just like kind of financial and operational systems run to run like kind of big corporates. Like how do you, And then I became a consultant there working for Microsoft. Uh, for a few years and then we moved to Australia from South Africa at that stage with my wife and I formed uh, a payroll company so basically we wrote like a Microsoft Australian payroll company which I successfully exited Uh, and then I went back to consulting did consulting for a while started another startup um, and then yeah found DeFi and was just looking for an excuse or an ability to jump into it full-time um, like pretty much as soon as I found it, I was like, you know, my my day job just, yeah, it, it just couldn't, couldn't hold a candle to it. Would you almost call it something like a hunter's nose where like you basically saw this opportunity, like, oh my God, like I need to jump on this immediately. That, that, that's exactly it. it, 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 it it's risky, man. Like, so the thing is like, I have like a, a you might've heard, but like I got like a six month old, uh, sorry, a four month old baby and like it was kind of risky in a lot of ways but i was like it's almost riskier not jumping into DeFi now yes i agree with that 100 <laughs> percent. like because again it, the, for sure with all like the regulations and stuff like that or the potential um the looming potential of regulations or whatnot um i, I definitely think that that can contribute to some maybe uh uh, individual economic uncertainty where it's like okay i hope my industry is going to be around in a few years but at the same time you look at just the evolution and you look at all of the the, the smartest minds uh that are involved in tech that are involved in finance that they are not going to wall street although i'm sure pr- plenty of them are um but you know a lot of these people they're they're 
they're kind of seeing where the wind is blowing and they're, they're, they're diving into this, this new industry because it is so exciting. It is so much of like this untapped sort of frontier and, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, so Leo, I'll float the question by you as well. What was kind of your, you know, the, the catalytic moment? Yeah. You know, I love talking about origin stories. Uh, everyone has such a unique path. And, you know, when I, when I first got into crypto, it was probably like 2015, 2016, when Bitcoin was just starting to, to get big again. And just the whole philosophy behind, you know, money should be, um, you know, controlled by the people, for the people, that there could be better monetary systems in the world. That really spoke to me. And now we finally have the technology to do it. And so I got in as kind of an investor and a hobbyist and just followed Bitcoin to Ethereum, Ethereum into DeFi, and then uh, DeFi into Avalanche. So I came into Avalanche as a user. And then I found the Snowball project. They're a yield optimizing project. They didn't have a website yet. They were telling people, they go deposit funds directly into our smart contracts. And I was like, okay, well, that's a bit silly. Let me just build you a website. Like I'm a full-time <laughs> web developer. I'll build you a website. And so I built them a website. And I thought it would just be like a part-time thing. But but as people will tell you, DeFi is a 24-7 job. And eventually I was spending more hours supporting uh, the Snowball website than at my real job. And I was like, okay, like let's just make this a career because I've always wanted to, right? And, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people's journeys are like that too. It's not all at once it's like you tip your toes in you get more involved and and all of a sudden it's your full-time job it's really fun yeah i i totally i i totally empathize with that too because it, it is such a um just a fun and exciting i don't know how else to describe it because like people look at me like i'm crazy where i i tell them that like yeah you know i coordinate with our beijing division and so like i'm up until you know like you know, midnight or one o'clock in the morning, kind of coordinating with them in meetings and stuff like that. And I'm always on call, always answering Telegram and that sort of stuff. And it's not a stretch to say that I my work week well exceeds probably just like you guys, 40 hours a week. But I don't mind it. I, I, I feel like it's really just this sort of, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to be part of this sort of cutting edge uh, technology. And I, I'm really just excited to just, just be involved in any kind of way whatsoever. So diving on ahead to kind of looking forward now into maybe the next uh, coming months and years of Pangolin, what are some of the features and, and maybe product offerings that users can expect to look forward to? I know you've kind of hinted at listings uh, this fall, actually, on not one, not two, but four different uh, centralized exchanges. Uh, but is there anything else that users can kind of anticipate and look forward to that's coming down the pipeline from you guys? We've actually got so much coming. I'm struggling to keep up in a lot of ways. Um, the, 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 way, the way I explain it to people is listing on centralized exchanges requires a lot of like foundational work. So it's like we had to do all that boring stuff so we could focus on the cool, fun stuff. Um, and now a lot of that boring stuff is nearing the end. Um, so we can actually do the cool stuff. So there's a whole site redesign. Uh, so we've got like a kind of head UI UX de uh, designer and he has done an awesome job. Like, honestly, the new UI looks sick. Like I haven't seen any uh, decks or six that comes close to it in terms of like, how, yeah. So the, I'm super stoked about that one. I think that one's going to be awesome. Um, obviously the tokenomics is going to be pretty big. Uh, so because with the tokenomics, there's quite a lot of engineering work that uh, goes into it. We've also had to hire full-time auditors. So we now have auditors 
that are, are basically are on call to audit everything as and when development occurs. We've also got a few other odds and ends that are coming through, you know, like uh, we've got some new features that we're still under discussions with, like an academy feature, which is, you know, kind of a bit low priority at this stage, but it's something that we're definitely very interested in doing. Um, so if you know Rabbit from uh, Ethereum, there's nothing really like that currently on Avalanche. Um, and then we've got like a few other features, you know, mobile is definitely something we want to focus on. And we've got, we've done a bit of work there. And then we've got a a few kind of internal stuff that will help facilitate things. But the UI redesign will kind of group together a bunch of really cool features. So um, I'll talk about a few of them, obviously limit orders, stop loss orders. These are some of the most highly requested features that uh, traditional investors uh, approach us for. And then we've also got an IL protection mechanism where you can set the percentage of your IL that you'd be willing to incur before it automatically exits you from that pool. Um, And then, yeah, we've also got like uh, zaps into auto compounders that we've been working on. Yeah, I'd have to go through my, I'd have to go through the roadmap. There's so much coming. I I sometimes get lost. (laughs) Yeah. That's really exciting. Uh, Because, you know, obviously I've been using your guys for, Gosh, probably about, I would say, probably maybe half a year, maybe a little bit less than that now. And obviously, like, you know, Uniswap at the time was kind of the, the industry leader in that regard. And so you can kind of see like a lot of inspiration taken from how they've laid out some of their stuff. And, you know, obviously not just uh, Pangolin, but, you know, SushiSwap and all these other exchanges. Um, but can you peel so like the whole concept of like this ui kind of redesigning that kind of stuff and you listing some of these features that i imagine would only help court some of these traditional investors uh is there any way you can i know this probably doesn't play great for a podcast (laughs) audio medium (laughs) but what can you know users expect in terms of maybe the layout the ease of use or anything like that is there any way you could peel back the curtain slightly on that yeah yeah, so, so so I think this is what, you know, like Web2 technology is pretty good with doing user research, speaking to people, designing, and then uh, developing. Whereas I think Web3, it's generally the de- developer, then they push it, right? And then the UI and the experience <laughs> is an afterthought. Um, <laughs> look, it is what it is. I mean, like it's, it's but, um, but we actually, you know, we spoke to users like we really try to get their opinion. We interviewed people and we spoke to them to understand their common pitfalls, their common pain points. Um, so really it's about, obviously, we want everything in one place, easy to use. Obviously, lots of charting, lots of um, cues, visual cues on how to make the best decisions, right? Um, so what is a volatility score? So if you're going to be involved in a pool, you know, what is the volatility of that pool and how could that impact your future earnings? Currently, some of the metrics around DeFi are not ideal for users trying to make the best financial decisions in a lot of ways. Um, DHedge actually, I find, does a great job of this. Like, they got a very cool um, protocol. And I took we took a bit of inspiration. And that's the cool thing. We took inspiration from all these cool places and we put it into a position where... You know, the swapping is very easy. You know, uh, it's all very condensed into like an easy to use widget. Uh, And then also the pools, right? So the pool, like if you want to move your pools, if you want to do that, um, currently it's it's almost like 
in most DEXs. It's just, he has a whole bunch of information. Now, good luck. Sort it how you will. Whereas we wanted to really kind of, you know, say, okay, cool. Well, he has a pool. There's a high APR. You know, you might get a high volatility score on this pool. You might want to then auto compound it. You might want to do a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, in a single to use interface. Because currently what people do is they go, maybe they go to Pangolin. Then from Pangolin, they do a pool. Then they might go to Snowball or Yieldjack or, you know, one of the other auto compounders. And it's kind of this fragmented multi-step journey. Whereas, you know, we want people to have an easy to use one-stop shop for their trading needs. Wow. That's, that's got me very excited, man. I'm really excited about the future. Let's talk a little about like Avalanche Rush and just this whole massive DeFi initiative that they've been pushing recently. Uh, Leo, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? So, so the Avalanche Rush has been just extremely exciting um, for our network. Uh, if you haven't been following the TVL metrics, I think we were under, you know, half a billion, and now we're at five billion on the network on the Avalanche network. And the three catalysts that really made this happen, in my mind, are uh, the new Avalanche bridge is best in class. It's cheap. It's fast. It's safe. The Avalanche Rush incentives program announced at 180 million dollars, now worth probably 600 or 700 million dollars is bringing in big projects like Aave, Curve, SushiSwap. I think Aave and Curve just launched today on the network. Very exciting. And then finally, just um, the network itself is just excellent. You know, once you get here as a builder and as a user, you realize this network is fast, cheap, secure. The team building it is very professional and it's a great place to be. Uh, feels like the next evolution of DeFi. I mean, these incentive programs are fantastic. Um, you, you, you know, like they really create this huge wave of attention. It creates new builders, you know, projects. Like what I look at it about is, you know, we need innovation and we need to attract the builders. And, you know, having these incentive programs attracts the builders. And then, you know, we have to create an environment that, okay, they've come over, but we've made them feel so welcome. You know, the technology is so good. The ecosystem is so good that they stay right you know like so there's a, a multifaceted thing to this avalanche rush is incredible for bringing attention you know really sh shining the spotlight and then the cool thing is having these projects stay and really build out their multi-chain futures with avalanche being a key part of it yeah i i think you touched upon something really good there i i think my gut tells me just by playing around with the ecosystem uh with avalanche I, I think that once you attract some of these builders that maybe just haven't had time to focus in on avalanche i think you're going to keep them for life because they'll see uh just the quality of life uh that they can have uh on avalanche and just the the tech behind it and it's just it's a super exciting time i i think to just be a part of the ecosystem whether you are just a, an investor or a builder or anything in between. This stuff is definitely super exciting for me and I'm sure for you guys as well. Like I'm sure a lot of the benefits of this stuff of the Avalanche Rust is getting passed on to you guys as well, which is phenomenal. I'm really excited for you guys. So what are your thoughts, uh, maybe jumping forward here and trying to put on you know, your crystal ball or whatnot, uh, what do you think DeFi is going to look like maybe a year from now, maybe four years from now? How do you how do you see that personally evolving? And I won't hold you to that if it doesn't come true, but <laughs> not financial advice. <laughs> not fi yes, not financial <laughs> advice. No, no. Um, I mean regulations are coming, that's a kind of yeah. blatantly obvious one, right? Um 
I mean, I'm hoping we don't see more of the one-inch approach where people have to sign um, things on chain to prove things. Um, but I do think that is a kind of um, – it, it may go that way in a lot of ways. So so regulation is coming. How um, people deal with that regulation will be different. Um, some, some people will uh, rail against it. Other people will adopt it. Um, I think the regulators won't be able to catch up I think so that's going to be an eternal kind of someone's going to do something and regulators will keep trying to uh, chase after it but they're always going to be two or three steps behind crypto moves too fast man they couldn't even keep up with banking how they're going to keep up with DeFi so (laughs) (laughs) so there is going to be this weird cat and mouse game Um, I think you're going to continue to see the, the the brightest minds and the most talented people move into DeFi um like you said earlier, man, like all of the big brains, giga brains, like all of the most talented people want to work in DeFi. I think you're going to see DAOs become a new form of employment. Like it's not even employment. Um, you're going to move away from these hierarchical corporate structures. Um, like even here in Australia, man, like they're, they're forcing people to go back to work where, where I, I live. And it's purely to protect the, uh, invest the, 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 the property market. Right. So, you know they're propping up these industries where it's like a DAO you know you can it, it doesn't enforce these kind of extra things on you so the future of work is going to be asymmetrical uh, and it's going to be where you own a piece of the pie um, and I think that's a beautiful thing uh, so DAOs are going to continue to to explode there's going to be DAOs for everything which is what we're already seeing um, and there's going to be you know obviously there's going to be countries that go onto the blockchain there's going to be a spectrum you're going to have china which isn't really it's not really it's a cryptocurrency but it's not a decentralized currency and then you're going to have other uh nations that that el salvador going onto bitcoin marshall islands is using algorand so this is happening already right and then i think you're going to see institutional banks especially on avalanche this i think is the almost a no-brainer for me is avalanche has a thing called freezable assets and then obviously they're going to uh, approach institutions. And think about an institution coming into DeFi and getting hacked. You know, V got hacked recently, unfortunately, and people lost a lot of money. Institutions aren't willing to play that risk. So once, you know, you have freezable assets there and institutions can play in DeFi, get the yields in DeFi, but eliminate the risk of hacks and some of those other concerns about regulations, it's the amount of capital about to come into the space is absolutely mind blowing. I a hundred percent agree. I, I think that, you know, for all of the, the awful things that happened, um, you know, this year and last year with COVID, I think the, the, maybe the silver lining is that um, I think that we're seeing a lot of Pandora's boxes have been opened up in terms of working from home. Uh, we've had an unprecedented amount of people that have actually, you know, because of the lockdowns have been playing around with like, hey, I'm going to look into investing or I'm going to look into crypto and, and that kind of stuff. And I think we'll go on to see, you know, the ramifications of that in, in ways we may not even expect, um, you know, going forward. And they will kind of just sort of reveal themselves in the next you know, few months or years or whatnot. But, you know, I, th- I really do think that we are on this, this, the precipice of this massive paradigm shift. And it is, it's it's just incredibly, um, I think, exciting, and think I think it would be beneficial just for you know for people in general, especially you know I, I don't know your guys' ages. You sound like you're around my age, but you know with millennials, I think that and especially Gen Z too. We we've had such a 
a rough kind of time playing catch up to get to the same sort of uh, milestones that our parents had and, you know, God forbid, our grandparents had. Um, and I, I do kind of fundamentally view crypto as a way that we are able to maybe take back some of that control and, and help kind of close that gap in a sense. Um, but uh, yeah, Leo, so what are your thoughts? And I'm passing the, the crystal ball on to you now. Uh, what do you kind of see DeFi evolving in over the next few years? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think about this all the time. I think Justin really nailed all the main points. The, the couple points I want to touch on is, are UX and NFTs. Um, by UX, I mean as a retail user, um, as an average person, I think um, for DeFi to succeed, um, we need to improve the UX to a level where it doesn't really feel like you're even using DeFi. You don't have to know that you're using, interacting with a blockchain or, or MetaMask wallets or things like that. But um, you know, when people start just pulling up apps on their phone, earning great yield on stable coins and things like that, without even knowing um, how crypto or DeFi works, I think that's gonna be really powerful in terms of the UX side. And then uh, for NFTs, um, you know, right now, NFTs, a lot of people still don't see the power behind it. They, they see it as you know, buying art and music uh, for collectibles. But that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg with NFTs, right? The applications are just, um, you know, they're, they're infinite. You can get into any industry in, in this world right now um, with phys physical objects and ownership. Um, and if you think about all of the use cases where we need to prove ownership uh, of things, uh, NFTs can, you know, have, have a place in that world. And I think that's the next step is finding applications to use uh, NFTs, the fact that you can prove ownership, transfer ownership on the blockchain uh, in traditional industries, that's going to be really big as well. But to circle back to the high level, you know, I, I think um, I'm also very bullish on DeFi. I think it's just going to slowly permeate throughout the world, whether or not uh, governments want to stop it. I, I don't know if they can stop it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Justin touched upon a really good point. Uh, again, I feel like I've said that a few times now on this podcast, but you guys have really been uh, really on point. But it, it takes a while for the government to catch up with this sort of stuff. And uh, at the lightning speed, like even you know a year ago, uh, I feel like the landscape has changed so much, especially for DeFi. And even either in the big picture and even in like the little nuances as well, um, I, I don't know how with this, how slow, at least I don't know about you guys, but you know, in the U S our government is pretty, I don't want to say inefficient, but I will say inefficient when it comes to catching up with some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I just, I can't imagine, or I can't envision a, a way where, you know, they will be continually antagonistic towards this. I, I, I foresee that there will be some sort of an eventual kind of uh, marriage between the two. And, and for sure, regulations are coming. And I think they are, um, as Hasib said um, back at the very first podcast that we did, I think they are inev an inevitability. And I think ultimately they will uh, legitimize everything that we've been doing. And I think that they will, um, you know, be a necessary step forward in terms of the global mass adoption that I, I believe all of us uh, seek. So it's really exciting. And I, again, yeah, NFTs, um, I don't want to, you know, even though this is a Saffron Academy podcast, I don't want to be shilling Saffron <laughs> during this. But yes, we, we I, I, I echo those sentiments as well. I think that NFTs are, are going to be huge. And I think that people are, um, they're, they're thinking very 
very close-minded, not not any fault of their own, but because that's the only thing they have to go off of right now. But I think that if you were thinking that the only applications for NFTs are selling, you know, $4 million uh, animated gifts and music and stuff like that, I think you are missing the bigger picture with that stuff. So I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that you guys understand that too as well. So yeah, branching outside, and I, I know we'll probably have to wrap up here soon, but is there any... Um, any projects maybe outside of Pangolin that you guys have your eye on, maybe that you might be interested in or kind of just saying, hey, maybe these guys are doing something that's unique in the space or maybe innovative in the space or something that I, I want to kind of pay more closer attention to? Um, I love Gitcoin, like probably a bit too much, but I think like they, they inspire me in so many ways and they have decentralized grants come in. So their current infrastructure uh, has certain centralized elements and they decentralize it. Um, we're actually uh, in discussions with them to bring that decentralized uh, grants for Gitcoin onto Avalanche, which would be incredibly powerful in my mind uh, to have that uh, within the Avalanche ecosystem. Um, and then, I mean, obviously Moloch is very, very cool. Um, so I think that's where, you know, where I'm currently looking at like, yeah, there's cool stuff in DeFi, but it's some of the things on the edges that we need to help DAOs and to help us actually navigate properly into this, these new uncharted waters. Um, so Moloch and Gitcoin are definitely like two of my favorites. Um, as for myself, this is Leo. I'm, I'm really excited to see projects to start to pioneer into the Avalanche subnets. Um, subnets being custom virtual machines where, you know, on an EVM, you kind of have to follow the EVM rules. But if you have a custom virtual machine, you get to set your own rules and, and the uh, sandbox to build in gets a little more creative. Um, so that's going to be exciting to see. I know Pangolin itself has uh, a couple of plans to explore in that space but to see other projects come and build in that area is going to be really cool. As we kind of close out here, uh, what advice and in, in thinking maybe of all the lessons you've learned of all your you know experience just in, in developing in this space and, and networking with people in this space, what kind of advice would you give to people that are listening to this episode that, you know, they're obviously they're starting off as maybe just retail investors, but they, they keep on hearing, you know, more and more stuff about the industry and just the mass amounts of potential that it holds, you know, what would advice would you say to people that are, you know, maybe looking to get involved in this industry? Like what are some of the steps that you might recommend they take or, you know, maybe avenues to explore or maybe things to kind of look into? Um, yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I, I think, there's obviously everyone, everyone comes from a different financial background and they come from their own personal situation. So the way I look at it personally is, you know, there's being an investor or investing in yourself. Um, and yeah, you can make a lot of money investing uh, in crypto. Um, but if you want to truly invest in yourself, come work at, on the frontiers and you should be doing everything in your power to be working in DeFi. It's it's stressful and it's emotional and um, there's a lot going on, but it's incredibly rewarding and people are incredibly keen to share it. It's like when you got like a cool story or something cool happens to you and you want to tell all your friends about it, you know, you want to share it. And I think you find a lot of people in crypto the reason why they're constantly talking about it around the barbecue and like telling you things you have no idea about. Um, it's because we want to share this awesomeness with the world. And yeah, I, I just, 
you know, reach out. People are generally cool. People generally want to help you make that transition. Um, contribute. Like I started writing blogs. I started writing a bit of code. I started, I just started doing, it wasn't about what, you know, I didn't want anything. I said, yeah, I've got something to contribute. If I contribute, I'm sure someone will pick me up or some project will want to work with me. Um, and that energy, I think, helps a hell of a lot in this industry. Don't be a mercenary. Be a DAO member that contributes to your community. Yeah, I think Justin covered, um, you know, being a contributor, how to get involved really well. And I would recommend anyone to, you know, if you like this space, try to contribute in any way you can, um, even if it's just a couple hours a week doing blogs and reviews. Um, but, but for people absolutely new to the industry, like, oh, what is crypto? What is DeFi? Should I learn more? Um, there's just so much interesting technology, economics, projects to learn about. Uh, a common analogy is just the early days of the internet. It feels like we're in like the 90s or like late 80s where suddenly someone's like, hey, I just sent in a, a letter, but over the internet. And a lot of people are like, okay, so what? <laughs> but, but, you know, look at us today. Look at all these applications that we see within our lives. And, and that's definitely what it feels like with crypto and DeFi. It's like there's really powerful things you can do. But a lot of people are asking, so what? And now uh, hundreds and thousands of projects are trying to answer that, so what, you know, including Pangolin. And it's just so fascinating. Like, I, I could learn about it all day, every day. Yeah, I, I have a similar sort of, uh, maybe not necessarily studying around the barbecue <laughs> so much. Um, but for me, like, I will wear, like, I'm, I'm not ashamed at all. I will wear an Ethereum t-shirt. I will wear an Avalanche t-shirt to the gym and that kind of stuff. And oftentimes it's a conversation starter because occasionally, like I even, you know, I, I had someone just kind of, uh, you know, point at my shirt and say, dude, <laughs> the other day. And it struck up a conversation because I think a lot of people, especially the younger generations, uh, are kind of waking up to the fact that they do have a bit of a, a deck stacked against them in terms of getting that kind of financial success that their, that their parents had. And, um, you know, they're looking for these other opportunities. And one of the biggest things that I love to just stress to people is that, yeah, there, there are so many smart minds and so many geniuses that are working in this industry. And yes, they are the main driving force. It's like, you know, Psykeeper, like I have never, and I'm not trying to brown nose here just because he's my boss, but good Lord, I have never met someone who is, is more um, just gifted in terms of programming and just, uh, just thinking on this sort of operating on this, this incredible level. At the same time, like this industry needs writers. They need people that are good at PR. They need people that are good at marketing. They need good people that are, you know, adept at video production, community management, sales, you know, business development. It's creating this whole industry here. So you, yeah, you may not be a, an expert level coder. You may not be a, a you know, a, a wonder kid or anything like that, but, um, you know, you don't have to be, to be participating in this industry. And you will find that there are so many people like, this isn't Wall Street. This isn't traditional finance. There is not, at least in my own experience, there is not that sort of sense of, uh, you know, superiority and like ego attached to some of that stuff. Although I'm not going to lie, like there are definitely <laughs> some popular uh, public figures that do have a little bit of an ego attached to them in our industry. But uh, on the grand uh, scheme of things, in my own experience, I found that just a lot of people really genuinely enjoy educating and helping onboard other people into this ecosystem because it's not just about the money for them it's about kind of this dramatic sort of change of, of how we do things and it's about kind of benefiting uh i feel like people and, and financially helping uplift them so uh 
Yeah, I, I definitely just would just encourage anyone who's listening to this episode who just, even if you are have a cursory interest in, in crypto and that sort of stuff and in DeFi, um, to just take that plunge and just sort of maybe start cold calling people and, and reach out to protocols that uh, you know you are interested in. And you would be, well, if you've been listening to this podcast, you won't be surprised because you'll find a commonality that a lot of these really successful people that we've interviewed um, oftentimes just reach out on discord or telegram to establish protocols and then that turns into a job and then that turns into some sort of life-changing opportunity so um yeah i i think you know justin leo you guys have both given some phenomenal advice in just terms of just putting yourself out there and and just starting to you know take that first step to just sort of get involved um and I know we're at time now and we're, we're going to wrap here, but I, I wanted to thank you guys again for just taking times out of your busy schedule to sit down with me and talk. You know, admittedly, this is a little bit of a wish fulfillment because I have been a big fan of Avalanche and I've been a big fan of Pangolin uh, for a little while now. And so being able to actually talk to you guys has been such a, a, an incredible honor. So I'd, I'd like to thank you guys as we kind of close out here. Oh, thank you for having us, mate. Like, this has been awesome meeting you guys. Um, like I said, I've been a big fan of Saffron, so I'm, I'm a fanboy. Um, so, so, dude, and it's just been really nice to get to know you and chat to you, man. It's been a real honor. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. I had a blast. I love talking about this. That's great, guys. Well, I hope that uh, we stay in contact and maybe we'll have you guys back on in you know, a, a few months from now when, you know, of course, the whole landscape of DeFi in our industry changes once again. We can kind of touch base and kind of see how things are going. But thank you guys so much. And um, yeah, that'll go ahead and wrap it up for us today. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to go and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Saffron Finance underscore. We also have communities on Discord and Telegram, and you can find the links to those in the show notes. We'll see you guys next time.